where I would encourage all of us collectively to try to separate the idea of comparison from our idea of our own personal self-worth. And that's easier said than done, for sure, because it seems like we're constantly just pitting ourselves against each other and against like mm. the achievements of other people. But it would be nice if we can kind of like separate those. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're beginning a two-part episode where we'll be discussing self-worth as well as comparison to others and how those things can affect your relationships, both positively and negatively. Today, we'll be talking about self-worth. We're going to hit you with some studies, explain how it can have an impact on your relationships, and finally, give you some tips you can take to gain a stronger sense of positive self-worth. So this is a big big overarching like theme in my life and something that I'm currently working with my therapist on a bit, just having like a better sense of self-worth and feeling better about myself. Cause this is, I think this and comparison are like the two things that I struggle with the most in my life. And it kind of permeates and like makes parts of my life probably not as good as they could be, not as optimized, not as fulfilled, not as happy, because I really struggle with this. So I did want to talk about it today, and I wanted to kind of delve into potentially some ways also for me and for our listeners out there, you know, to, to make this better, to, to become better about doing both of these things in a productive and positive manner. And honestly, like when I look at the two of you, I always think of two people that are just like so freaking totally amazing and perfect within themselves and never compare themselves to anyone else. And if they do, then yeah, I mean, it just, it's only like to help motivate themselves to be better or something along those lines. So, but I know that I'm probably talking out of my ass. So please, please yeah, discuss. You're full, you're full of crap, Emily. Yeah. No, it's so funny. Jason, I just yesterday, we had this conversation. I guess this is maybe related a little bit to self-worth and comparison and things like that. But we were talking about non-monogamy and jealousy and insecurity and basically kind of came to a place where I was like, I thought I was the only one who felt insecure and jealous sometimes. <laughs> and Jace was like, I thought you were fine. I thought I was the only one mm. who felt jealous and insecure sometimes. And so here we are, folks, nine years later being like, what? And Wait, what? Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's the same that, I don't know. I've always felt with self-worth, at least for myself, it kind of comes and goes in waves. Yeah. As it were. I, I'm I'm curious for you in tackling this with your therapist was this a kind of thing where like you brought this to your therapist like this is something I already know about myself or was this like your therapist was like maybe we should work on some self-worth based on what you're talking I'm just kind of curious about yeah no 100% it was something that I was like this is the thing that I'm the worst at Mm. one like bar none yeah Mm. 
You're like, I'm, mm. I'm so unworthy because my self-worth is so low. A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's fascinating what you're talking about. And also I am kind of curious just to get your take on this because I started talking to my partner about this. He was like, oh, what are you going to talk about on your episode next week? And I was like, well, self-worth and stuff and in comparison, because those are the two things that I'm the worst at. And he said, yeah, I I also struggle with this, but it's not something that I feel like I can talk about a lot because as a person who has, has been socialized as a male, as a guy, essentially, I feel as though if I do talk about it, then society at large will punish me for it. And I, I do wonder if mm. that is a a thing that people who have been socialized as men feel that, that they can't speak about it or, or is sort of what, what you feel about that, Jess. I mean, yeah, that is an interesting thing to to talk about. I've, gosh, it's hard because I feel like I've been in this world of dismantling a lot of that kind of socializing for a while. So maybe sure. my perspective is a little bit different. I think also that really changes, right? I think that it's, I, I don't think it's so cut and dry as just, oh, as, you know, being raised as a man you know, this isn't okay or it is. I think it depends on what your family was like, what kind of, you know, what kind of work you do, what kind of environments you're in, what your social group is like. I think it really varies. But I will say in terms of struggling with it too, I mean, in general, I feel like I have a fairly good self-worth. And yet, after almost, you know, every episode we record, I go to (laughs) Dedeker and I'm like, was I terrible and was horrible and awful and everyone hates me and this is the worst thing ever? And this is, this she is just recently, fact. this yeah. is true. And yeah. she just recently was like, you know, you're not allowed to say that anymore. We're just, that's, <laughs> <Wow. laughs> that's off limits. We're just going to not give that any more oxygen, as it were. So mm. we'll see how that experiment goes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Here we are recording another one. So, but that is yeah. okay. But that is something, you know, as someone who has dated a lot of men in the past, that is something that I've noticed about you, Jace, is that at least when you're having a shame spiral or you're going through a period of really low self-worth or really extreme negative self-talk, at least with me, you seem very comfortable in acknowledging that and just saying that, that that's what's going on for you and you're really struggling with that and that's hard. And I've definitely had male friends and partners where that wouldn't be the first place they would go to acknowledge it. Mm. Like, like kind mm. of the first coping mechanism is to either deny it or maybe bluff my way through it or get angry or, and then maybe much further down the road, will it finally come to, oh yeah, it's because I was feeling, you know, ashamed of myself or feeling like I wasn't smart or inadequate or, or feeling like there's something inherently wrong with me. So I think you got that going for you. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good. I, I will say, yeah, now that you put it that way, there is sometimes some fear that comes up with that though of, yeah, I guess kind of admitting this might make me unattractive and you won't be into me anymore. Like there is there is a little seed oh, of that, even though, you know, like I said, I've this is something I've done a lot of work on for many years of trying to kind of unlearn some of that socialization. But but yeah, there there is a piece of that. So you're right. There there is something there. Just to touch on that real quick, I I did think about that in relation to myself because I think we're taught like insecurity as a whole is not attractive to our partners. And while I think that sometimes that Mm -hmm. is true, the, you know, parts of being a good partner is being able to understand one another's maybe faults or things that they can work on. And perhaps this is something that 
people like me and almost everyone else that I know can work on in some way (laughs) or another and that that's okay. And that, you know, insecurity is when they become debilitating. That's one thing. But if it is something that, that you are actively trying to work through and make a positive change, then, then that's okay to come to your partner about like, we should hopefully feel safe enough to do that. Hmm. Yeah. But I wonder if it's the difference between, I I come to my partner because I'm expecting them to fix it right in that moment or like fix all my insecurity versus coming to my partner and just being honest about this is yeah. what I'm going through. And so maybe reassurance could help with that, but but maybe not. Maybe it's just telling you that. I wonder if there's something about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's definitely an interesting piece because there is that if it's that I'm always coming to you for validation and assurance, like that does become frustrating over time. And I've been on both sides of that in relationships in the past. And like, that's not a great pattern to get into of like, I just need you to, to tell me I'm okay because I'm, I'm not, you know, cause I'm not working on this and I'm not getting there myself at the same time though, to just think, Oh, I have to do this all on my own in a bubble. You know, that's not, you know, that's going to be a really hard thing to do and isn't really helpful and is also kind of closing yourself off from a partner. So it's, there is something there to finding that balance. And and maybe that's something we'll get into as we talk about this more through the episode and look at some studies. Yeah. So we're going to start off with definitions. Sometimes the terms self-worth and self-esteem are used interchangeably. There's a lot of other self words out there. Well, my favorite is self-efficacy, but a lot of those. <laughs> so um, hold that out in a minute, Dedeker. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah maybe I, I should, maybe it's Thanks time for another for self-efficacy episode, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we covered this back in 2018, 6,000 years ago <laughs> in episode 192, self-esteem boost. So if you want a little refresher on that, you can go back there, but let's start with definition. So Just straight up with the dictionary definition, um, Merriam-Webster defines self-worth as a feeling that you're a good person who deserves to be treated with respect. (laughs) Uh, Even just reading that definition brought up some like weird little feelings. and yeah, (laughs) Am I a good person? I don't know. (laughs) Do I deserve to be treated with respect? Yeah, exactly. Does that feel too bold to say that? Gosh, really. Super bold, yeah. Really peeling away some layers here. So that's self-worth. Now, in contrast, self-value, and this is a definition that we pulled from positivepsychology.com, is, quote, more behavioral than emotional, more about how you act toward what you value, including yourself, than how you feel about yourself compared to others. It's really interesting nuance there. Yeah. And hmm. so, again, similarly, there isn't necessarily a huge difference between self-worth and self esteem, especially when it comes to like talking to a therapist or things like that. Those terms tend to be used pretty interchangeably. And also in the Merriam-Webster dictionary entry for self-worth, the first definition of it is just self-esteem. So (laughs) it just is self-esteem. Okay. Yeah. However, (laughs) some people do feel that there's a difference again from positivepsychology.com quote, self-esteem is what we think and feel and believe about ourselves. Self-worth is recognizing I'm greater than all those things. It's a deep knowing that I'm of value, that I'm lovable, necessary to this life, and of incomprehensible worth. Oh my God, I can't handle, I can't handle <laughs> defining myself as having, having incomprehensible worth. This is bringing up way too much baggage right now. 
Boy, oh boy, really going on a journey right out the gate. Yeah, <laughs> right out the gate. But yeah, I think so. Self esteem is a little bit more it, like it can move and change day to day, whereas hmm. self worth is more like one's intrinsic value and feeling that they are on this earth maybe for a reason or that, you know, they're a lovable person that she right, deserves to be here. Respect. Respect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gosh, I know it's, it's tough, Dedeker. It's tough. It's tough. It's it's a struggle. And then self confidence, according to some of the definitions that we found, is maybe not an overall evaluation of yourself, but maybe just that feeling of confidence and competence in more specific areas. So that's how we're going to be dealing with this today. Don't stress too much. Obviously, there's a lot of overlap between all of these terms. You know, so just. Pick what it is that actually applies to you and what you struggle with in this particular area. Now, we wanted to look at how prevalent it is to have feelings of maybe poor self-worth or struggling with self-worth. And we looked at a couple studies to kind of determine that and talk about it. Some of these are going to come from thebodyshop.com. And the body shop actually did a study conducted on that website on self-esteem, and it included 22,000 people across 21 different countries. So they had this thing essentially called the self-love index. It was a score that was ranked out of 100. And the average score on this was 53 out of 100. So that essentially means that one in two people worldwide felt more self-doubt than self-love. And the report also revealed around 60% of people wish that they had more respect for themselves. That so we're rocking like a yeah. solid D for most people on yeah. the self-worth front. Goodness. Yeah. Rocking yeah. that. Absolutely. <laughs> also, LGBTQ people and those with disabilities scored more poorly on self-love and self-esteem measures than the general population. They had scores in the bottom 25%. Oh, wow. And wow. around 53% of adults and 58% of people under the age of 18 reported that the COVID-19 lockdown had made them feel worse about their appearance. And that actually Boy. is something that my therapist threw out there as well recently. She's like, this is mm. something that has come up a ton. And just how how much COVID and, and being locked down has really been challenging for so many people and caused them to have feelings of self-worth being, you know, lessened and things along those mm. lines and just wanting to go to therapy more in general. Goodness. I also, this sort of goes along with that. A study conducted in 2020 by the UK government asked 7,878 people about their perception of their body appearance and shape. And 61% of adults said they either felt negative or very negative about their body image most of the time. A further 66% of children felt the same way. Oh, and I know man. that, yeah, that's been reported as well, that COVID-19 kind of, yeah, like this said, it makes, it has made some people feel worse about their appearance as well. So I, I, I think outside yeah, of that, I know I've read some studies that report that specifically like little girls start feeling bad about their bodies at like age seven, Jeez. like a Yikes. ridiculously yeah. young Gosh. age. And yeah. I mean, I'm sh honestly, I'm sure little boys or little non-binary people are probably not too far off, but mm -hmm. I think we usually tend to focus on women and girls when it comes to body image and, and that. Yeah. So yeah, not surprising, really depressing. Yeah. Yeah, gosh. So this is, I mean, this is something worth taking seriously and something worth addressing, not just for ourselves, but 
maybe even larger than that. Looking at another study, this is from 2011 by McClure, Tansky, Kingsbury, Gerard, and Sargent called Characteristics Associated with Low Self-Esteem Among U.S. Adolescents, was specifically looking at children. This was a sample of 6,500 adolescents aged 12 to 16 years. They were surveyed over the phone as part of a national study that had to do with substance abuse and also the media. And in it, they had some questions about self-esteem. They had three questions to kind of assess global self-worth. And again, related to physical appearance is a theme in a lot of these. And they found that lower self-esteem was associated with being female, being Hispanic, being overweight, and high engagement in sensation-seeking, which That's I don't really quite know yeah. what that means, but I guess just kind of thrill-seeking behaviors. Or substance abuse, I'm not sure because this was Maybe, about yeah. substance abuse. Or And I wonder if they also characterized looking at media as... Like sensation seeking. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Because then they also have rebelliousness and daily TV time was associated with lower self-esteem as well, having more daily TV time. So it is interesting, but it does kind of reinforce some of the things that we were just seeing in that other study and Dedeker was mentioning that, you know, it seems like girls are tending to be socialized toward this more quickly. Other factors that are associated with higher self-esteem were things like participating in team sports having good grades in school, um, and parenting style. So depending on how they were being parented, which I wish they had more details <laughs> about. Like, what, what do you mean? How, how so? But I guess just encouraging that higher self-esteem. All this to say, there are a lot of factors that might be contributing to low self-worth and low self-esteem. And, you know, they could be related to your gender or ethnicity or you know, your habits or things like that, but that this is very common across all sorts of demographics and all sorts of different, you know, interests or <laughs> participation in school activities that still overall there is there is a big issue with self-worth and self-esteem. I guess it, this helps me feel a little bit less like I'm alone in this feeling. And even the two of you said right off the top, like, I thought I was the only one who blah, 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 blah. And the point is, yeah. <laughs> no, you're not. Like, you're definitely not the only one. Yeah. Uh, so many people, almost everyone that I know has in some way or another struggled with these things. So at least there's some solidarity there and there's some understanding amongst many groups of people. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Now, speaking of groups of people, we can really expand this to be quite wide. So another interesting tidbit that our research assistant, M found was comparing rates of self-esteem by country. So this was a survey, and they found that Serbia is at the top. My very good Serbian friends do seem very, very, like, they have a lot of (laughs) self-esteem. efficacy or or happy with themselves. And Uh so that makes uh sense to me. Yeah. And good for them. So Serbia is at the top. The U.S. is in sixth place. We also tend to put ourselves at the top. It's quite high. And then Japan is at the bottom. And now I, I don't know the specifics of what kind of questions they asked in the survey or things like that. But it is funny that so I've been going to a weekly Japanese language meditation group on Zoom. And I mean, it's all Japanese people. I'm the one weird 
white girl who speaks Japanese and no one knows what to do with, but we meditate together and it's cool. <laughs> and <laughs> a few weeks ago, the teacher did present this, I'm pretty sure these same exact findings talking about self-worth and self-esteem rates broken down by country. And, and yeah, Japan was at the bottom and all the other people in the Zoom, I mean, we're pretty self-aware. They're like, yeah, totally. That tracks. You know, I do think that Culturally, we tend to have issues with self-esteem and self-worth, and we don't really teach our kids that. That's very much baked into the culture. But but then the overwhelming opinion about Americans being so high up was, yeah, that, that totally tracks with people's impressions of Americans, and specifically that Americans seem to have self-esteem for no good reason was the, was the specific <laughs> saying like like so much confidence and self-worth but not a lot to back it up with which i thought was kind of funny but the confidence of a mediocre white man that's yeah, like what a it mediocre american basically yeah, a mediocre american <laughs> exactly there you go so but what they found was that no matter where people lived people who had higher self-esteem scores scores had three things in common so they were more likely to be extroverts they had lower scores for neuroticism, and they were more likely to report having romantic attachments, which is interesting. That's interesting and a little... Hmm. Uh, I feel like ways. I know a lot of introverted polyamorous people who are like, oh, no, you don't. I've got the <laughs> most romantic attachments. So I don't know about that. It depends yeah. what questions I, they ask. I get it, though. I, I think that if my life was completely devoid of romantic attachments, I think I would have lower self-esteem and... Mm. Say what you will about whether that's healthy or unhealthy, but I, yeah, I get it totally. That's fascinating. And then they also found that people in more culturally individualistic countries, like the United States tends to be, mm -hmm. they tend to rate themselves higher in self-competence than for self-liking. And then the opposite was true for people in countries that are more oriented to communities rather than individuals, which does include a lot of Asian countries like Japan, just speaking broad cultural strokes. So I thought that was just super fascinating. Well, that's interesting. And, and I, I thought it was, it, it makes sense because we brought this up earlier with the different self-words, right? That self-worth and self-esteem are a different thing from self-confidence and that self-confidence tends to be more your confidence in a certain area. And I remember years ago reading, oh gosh, I don't remember what this was. It was an article or maybe it was a TED talk or something, but it was talking about this idea of self-confidence and confidence in general and how for a lot of people, that's also something of like, I'd like to be more confident. And this psychologist was basically saying, yes, but confidence isn't always actually what you want because confidence when you don't have the skills to back it up can actually get you in trouble hmm. right it's like i'm i'm really confident that i can you know drive this race car around a track when i've never done it before but i've got a lot of confidence right so it's oh so like i'm good and then you know you get yourself into trouble and you get hurt or you crash or you know something terrible happens they like confidence isn't always a good thing right it's like it accurate confidence is more important versus self-worth where it, where that is something that you know is good to have that idea that I'm worthy of respect and I'm worthy of love and so this is interesting too that this study seemed to maybe conflate the two together because they noticed that in these individualistic countries they had higher scores of self-competence which I imagine is the same as self-confidence it's more like I think I'm good at stuff but we didn't like ourselves as much <laughs> 
And yeah. so I'm like, well, so maybe we're high on this list, but maybe we're really not actually high if you measured it a different way. So That's just true. something to be aware of there. Fascinating. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the things that contribute to a person's feelings about their own self-worth, sort of positively or negatively. And this comes from positivepsychology.com. And it discusses five of the top factors that people use to measure and compare their own self-worth to the worth of others. Now, I will just say again that we're going to talk more about comparison next week on the second part of this episode. And really, I mean, when you look at it this way, comparison and self-worth seem to go hand in hand. But I would, I, I think for myself and for others out there, I would encourage all of us collectively to try to separate the idea of comparison from our idea of our own personal self-worth. And that's easier said than done, for sure, because it seems like we're constantly just pitting ourselves against each other and against like mm. the achievements of other people. But it would be nice if we can kind of like separate those. But for this... I, when we're comparing our self-worth to the worth of others, the factors include appearance, net worth, who you know slash your social circle, what you do slash your career, and also what you achieve. What you achieve and, yeah, like what you achieve specifically feels a little bit like, I don't know, like what is that? Like what specific factors are like what you achieve? I mean... It, yeah, it, it feels like it could mean a lot of different things. But I suppose, yes, if one gets an Oscar, then yes, you have achieved something really <laughs> impressive or a well, Nobel Prize. As someone who derives a lot of self-worth from what she achieves, uh. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm still piecing this one together. When we did our values episode last year or the year before or two, I don't know how many years ago, <laughs> when I did that exercise accomplishment was one of the values that came out of that as a top value for me. And I thought that was really interesting. And I have not yet done the work to sit down and think about, is that a value I want to have? I've just kind of been leaning into it. And so Hmm. I don't know, maybe there can be a healthy side to that. I think that, you know, shoot for the stars and aiming for goals and getting things done is a good thing. And then I think there's also a dark side to it of where your self-esteem and self-worth can go if you fail to accomplish something or achieve something or you tried something and it didn't work out the way that you thought that it was going to or you didn't fully complete something or didn't do it perfectly, which is my curse that I'm going to be dealing with to the end of my days. And I think there's that question of, well, what do I think counts as an achievement worth achieving? Mm-hmm. Right. That that for one person that may be very different from another. And I could see certain goals being healthier than others as well, or more sustainable, or having a more positive impact on your life and the people around you than other types of achievements. You know, just thinking about is is the achievement just about buying a thing, or is an achievement about doing good in the world in some way, or is it about hitting a certain rank at your job, or is it about your health or or your relationship health or you know like there's a lot of different ways you could put those kind of achievements which again may or may not be the best way to go about it but that is that is an interesting one because it is like you said Emily really depends on what you think is an achievement yeah and your achievement may not be the same as somebody else's like you and another person may technically achieve the same thing but they may view it very differently than you do so 
you know, our own internal strife kind of gets into all of this. And that's why comparison, I think, can be challenging just in general. All right. So again, all of these things. Yeah. And, and this kind of ties into your values discussion, Dedeker. But what are other things that might contribute to a person's self-worth? Because you said specifically your what you achieve. So achievements. Yeah, I think, definitely uh, achievement. I think for me, I mean, I I just would like to have enough money someday to not freak out about money every six months or so and feel like I don't have any like that to me would be I would feel Mm. better about myself I think if I could consistently do that Mm. I felt really good about myself when I paid off my debt for instance and when Mm. I started putting money away for retirement but but yeah like having that money thing be easier in my life I feel like would contribute to my self-worth for instance yeah, I mean, if we look at these things that were mentioned on this self-worth page on positivepsychology.com, you know, net worth came up as one in a way that we both evaluate our own worth and compare ourselves to others is that that idea of what we how much money we think someone else has versus how much we think we have. Mm. And that's maybe a topic for another time about how we often have very weird and not accurate concepts of both of those. But also appearances here. I know that's certainly one, you know, I, I see that a lot with even just in a generally like friendly way of comparing oneself to others, usually in a self-deprecating way of like, oh, but you know, look at, look at all that hair you've got or like, oh, you wouldn't understand you're so skinny or, or whatever it is, right. That that sort of talk comes up a lot. And I do think that that's one that, from all those studies we've read before, is a big one that shows up a lot with whatever you think that is, too, right? And that might vary, too, about what you think is attractive or what I should look like for my age or my gender or whatever, that that's definitely a big one that affects us. I know it affects me. Hmm. Yeah, I think also competitive situations. And I think that could be everything from like high stakes well, relatively high stakes competition of I'm trying to get this promotion at work or I'm trying to get this job or I'm trying to perform in school in a particular way or all the way down to I really want to win this board game because my <laughs> my worth is tied to that. And it's like, mm. I mean, to say that so directly, I don't think anyone ever directly thinks that, oh, if I don't win this board game, then I'm worth nothing. But still we have those little sticky ties and that does motivate the way that we act. Something that's not on here that is something that I think about a lot is like a a perception of intelligence, like internal wisdom or intelligence. And that's Mm -hmm. like one of the things that I feel I struggle in a lot, like my own perception of my own intelligence and that I tend to be friends with or have family members who are extremely, in my perception is that they have a lot of that, like a shit ton, and that I am super inferior to all of them, like basically everyone else. So that's, I, I think, a thing that's really interesting that that isn't on this list at all. And maybe that, it's just it, it, like somebody's I am their what their achievements or what their career is, maybe that kind of factors in in some way. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, in some of the research that that we looked at, 
with younger people, you know, through, through college academic achievement mm-hmm. comes up, but then it's like, once you're not in school, it's almost like the studies kind of stop paying attention to that. And so that is an interesting one that it's like, we almost think it's transitioning straight from academic competence to like career success, whatever that looks like, rather than it's, it's interesting, Emily, that you point out more that sense of like, am I smarter than my friends or am I as smart as them or whatever? And that, that is another, that is another is an interesting one. Yeah. Do I feel smart in general? Something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. And how that contributes to self-worth. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, we are going to continue on talking about self-worth and self-esteem. We're going to talk about what low self-esteem or self-worth looks like, how it affects one's relationships, and then also some actionable takeaways to to help me with this and all of you out there as well, because definitely I think a lot of us could use a little help in all of this stuff. But before we do that, we are going to take a quick break to talk about some of the ways that you can support this show. We love bringing it out there to all y'all for free. So listen to some of our sponsors. If there's any out there that are interesting to you, then check them out and take a look because it will really, really help us out. Thanks so much. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. One thing that we did want to talk about a little bit as we're getting into this, when it comes to talking about self-worth and self-esteem, there's a couple traps that people can fall into. One is thinking that, oh, well, if I have low self-esteem or low self-worth, it's because I've, I've decided this about myself and this is my own fault and I'm failing somehow, which then leads back into that same cycle, right? Of then, oh, I'm, well, I don't have self-worth because I'm bad at self-worth and right. You kind of get caught in that loop. And then the other mistaken idea is that I have this certain amount of low self-worth and that's just like a trait of me and I'm stuck with that forever. And that as we're going to talk about later on in this, this is something that there are interventions, there's things that you can do to help improve this, and this is something that you can work on. But to address that first point, it's also not just something that you decided in a vacuum, right? That there are a lot of factors that affect how your self-worth was developed. This includes things like experiences in early childhood, 
not fitting in at school for whatever reason, maybe maybe moving around a lot, going to different schools, or just happening to be what social group you fell in with, right? There's so many different different ways that can go. If you had parents who had high expectations that you felt like you were always failing or maybe being neglected or possibly abuse, things like negative core beliefs can come up, which again are something that we were taught at some point and that, you know, through either our friends or our teachers or our parents or people around us, these ingrained beliefs about what makes a person worthwhile, who's deserving of respect and love, and then also just stressful life events that can happen throughout your life, like having a really unhappy relationship or, you know, bereavement over a death or having a serious illness or, right, there's all these factors that can affect it negatively as well as positively. But just to kind of be aware that this isn't just a fixed static thing that that is totally your fault and there's nothing you can do about it because it's not. And, and just to keep in mind that this does have real serious effects. This can cause difficulty with relationships. You know, we mentioned that a little bit before. Make it harder to, to perform well at work or at school. Again, contributing to that same cycle can make you more sensitive to criticism or less able to feel like you can engage socially, more fear of rejection or fear of being judged or measured against other people, even just kind of you know depression symptoms kind of giving up on even trying then because, oh, well, I'm not even worth it. Health problems as well, you know, depression, anxiety, phobias, like all of that can, can come through this and substance abuse, like that study that we talked about in the first half of adolescence and looking at how self-esteem is linked to substance abuse. So just, just to be aware that this is actually a very serious thing. I know we're all talking about it very lightheartedly, but it is serious, but it's also not hopeless. It is something that, that you can change. Because this is a relationship show, I did want to sort of address additional effects specifically on relationships if you have low self-esteem. And this is something I know that I've struggled with quite a bit in my relationships. And over time, you know, that idea that you get super tied up with your own self-worth sort of gets tied up in the relationship that you're having. I You also, sometimes I have felt like the state of my relationship really affects how I feel about myself or that might be a thing that occurs if things are going really well. And it's like, yes, I'm, I'm feeling great about myself or if things are not going as well, then G is like, I'm an unworthy person or I'm not worthy of love, something along those lines. I just in general, there may be an overwhelming feeling that you're not worthy of love you're not worthy of love by your partner, by your family, by your friends, things like that. Or, you know, on the opposite end, the only thing that makes you worthy of love is that you do have somebody in your life or multiple people in your life that are giving you that love. That again, yeah, your your whole idea of self-worth is just wrapped up in the concept of you being in relationship with someone. And if something ends, a breakup can really feel very difficult and you know, kind of set those feelings of self-worth back even more because all of a sudden you don't have the thing in your life that was sort of anchoring you to better, more positive feelings of self-worth. So those are just some things to think about in relationships and why I think it is so important for us to to learn to find internal self-worth as opposed to trying to find it 
in an outward external manner. And so, of course, nested within that, we have to think about how one's self-worth can also affect a non-monogamous relationship. And of course, all those things that Emily mentioned definitely apply regardless of the shape of your relationship. But there's definitely an interesting discourse online talking about how self-esteem and self-worth affect one's experience of non-monogamy or polyamory. So in particular, I'm looking at this blog on Psychology Today written by Professor Aaron Benzaev from the University of Haifa in Israel. And he writes a lot about relationships and emotions and is actually in his writings fairly inclusive of polyamory as well. And he kind of posits that, you know, there is this stigma that suggests that, oh, if you're agreeing to be in a non-monogamous relationship, you must have low self-esteem, right? So like someone with high self-worth would not sell themselves so short, as it were, to have a non-monogamous partner. But he makes this observation that he thinks that people who are in polyamorous relationships may actually require a certain amount of some reserve of high self-esteem and high self-worth because the fact that you are presented with the opportunity to compare yourself to other people much more frequently. And again, we'll get into comparison more next week, but I thought that was an interesting argument. And then we also found this blog, this personal article, personal essay that was published on Refinery29. And this woman was talking about you know, what it's like to be non-monogamous. And specifically, you know, the person writing this blog was fat and disabled. So someone who, you know, carries membership within groups that are traditionally seen as not desirable, and then watching their partner have other partners or date other people who are seen as more conventionally attractive, you know, people who are thin or non-disabled, you know, where we tend to group, our culture tends to group in the desirable category. And it's a really, really interesting article. I would recommend people check it out. But she does kind of go on this journey of realizing that this experience kind of forced her to peel away a lot of these layers and see where she did have areas where she tied herself worth to weird things like this I belief that I have to be thin to be loved or I can't be in my 30s because being in your 30s means that you're basically about to be dead and dried up and irrelevant and unlovable and how you know just seeing this and going through this process showed how these beliefs didn't really align with how she actually felt about herself which was she felt that she kind of had this high self-worth but then there were still these sticky points at the same time. And then I really liked this, actually. I'm going to read this quote. She says, if my deepest fears came to life and Dylan, her partner, did leave me for a stick-thin 20-year-old, could I really say that I still wanted to be with him? And I really like reframing it that way, this idea that, yeah, if my partner really does want to leave me for someone who, quote-unquote, is more desirable or who from a social standpoint would be more desirable like would I still be interested in my partner if there was someone who could do that yeah Yeah. good for her so what can we do about this right if this is something that we can change what can we do to help build better self-worth so we're going to look through some of these ideas a lot of these come from an article from the Goodwall blog about how to build self-esteem 12 tips for increasing self-worth and self-regard. 
And the first one on the list here is to identify the negative thought patterns. And this is an idea that's rooted in cognitive behavioral therapy. And essentially, the idea is to identify what those negative thought patterns are, right? So in the example from that article that Dedeker was just talking about, that idea of, oh, now that I'm in my 30s, that means I'm, I'm basically irrelevant and unattractive and almost dead. I just turned 40 recently, and one of my friends sent me you know, drawings children did about what it'll be like when they're in their 40s. And it's like, I'm old, I can barely walk, I'll be dead soon, you know, wow. stuff like oh, wow. that to tease me. But I mean, if you find that that actually is a negative thought pattern, identifying it first, right? So then once identifying it, begin acknowledging when and where those thoughts arise. You know, when do I start having these thoughts? And when they just pop up, start thinking about why. So ask yourself some questions like, am I thinking this based on emotions or are there actually facts to back this up? Is there evidence that this thought is accurate? What is the worst that could happen if this were true? And how can I test my thought patterns? Or is there any way I can test, do an experiment and see like, does this actually hold up? Wow, how scientific. I love that. Well, yeah, my therapist totally did that with me recently. She's like, who's telling you these things? Or mm -hmm. what? is that actually true? And I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. most of them are no. It, it just is, you know, internal 100%. But that, that is, you know, I really, I do appreciate, and that's that's a later one in, in this as well, but I so appreciate having an objective third party you know, to be mm -hmm. able to do that for you and say, wait a yeah. minute, let's stop and just really look at this analytically here. What is the reality of the situation? And are these things facts or is it just something going on with you internally? Yeah. Yeah. I had a, a counselor years ago who did a very similar thing where I was talking about, oh, you know, I was in a band and I played a show and I felt like everyone just really hated it. And, I remember and that story didn't yeah. like the performance. And she asked very similar questions. So you just described Emily. She's like, Oh, did anybody tell you that? I was like, well, yeah. no. She's like, Oh, how did you know that? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. I just kind of felt like they probably thought that, you know, it's that kind of like, Oh yeah, they're like, mm, I guess <laughs> yeah. I don't really have a lot of good evidence for this, even though that didn't make it go away right away, but it did yeah. at least start that questioning process. Right. So, so start that questioning of those assumptions and see if, well, can I gather any evidence to the contrary? And then start thinking about, you know, is this thought serving me? Because if I don't really have good evidence to back it up, and maybe there's even evidence against it, maybe this is actually a thought that I could start letting go of. Mm. Another one on this list here is switching negative thoughts for positive ones. Now, that just sounds like, oh, yeah, we have a magic wand and just start thinking positive thoughts <laughs> instead. Yeah. <laughs> But but I think it goes along with that same idea of, okay, maybe maybe when I really look at it, there's not a lot of evidence for this negative thought. Is there a positive? Or, I know Dedeker always loves this, just sort of a more neutral, objective kind of thought, rather, you know, rather than I'm bad at this or, or I'm not worthy in this way, rather than going, I'm amazing at this and I'm super worthy, I'm like the best person ever, to instead look for, you know, what's more objective of... I'm a person who who wants to be loved and it seems like people do appreciate me or you know something like that or you know I'm a person who does have intellectual 
conversations and and people seem to understand me when I do, right? Finding something that's a little bit more objective or kind of this middle ground. Mm -hmm. And then something that I love, of course, is journaling, right? So journaling your thoughts and your progress on these. I find for myself, handwriting is just always more effective for me than typing on a screen or on a keyboard. But, you know, up to you, whatever it is, it just gives you kind of this place to put the thoughts out there to help freeze them in place instead of just letting them kind of spin and cycle in your head. Another one is to look at your relationships. This is really interesting because you can you can kind of see and, and you may have friends who sort of nitpick things that you do or even family members perhaps. And like it's it might family members in my yeah, experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But that is, you know, something to potentially create a boundary around for yourself. That, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to leave the room or I'm going to hang up the phone when when you start to nitpick or trigger this thing because this is something that I'm working on and it doesn't contribute mm-hmm. to my feelings of good self-esteem or self-worth. And, you know, that I think is something to examine also in your relationships. I mean, geez, if you have a partner who's super nitpicky and really challenging your feelings of self-worth, then maybe it's time to look past that relationship or move on. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, it's like boundaries might, might help you in certain areas. Like you said, Emily, kind of removing yourself from that situation, but it's also that maybe really have that hard talk with yourself about finding some other relationships, not just your romantic ones, but also like, maybe I should be hanging out with these other friends more than this one or find some new friends or something. And I know that's easier said than done, but having that force in your life all the time is not going to, you're not going to contribute well to your happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) This next one is a super novel concept. Not really. It's, it's one that, that is easier said than done. And, but something that the three of us talk about a lot, which is that take the advice that you give to others. All three of us are like, Oh my, (laughs) we're really good at dishing it out, but not great at (laughs) doing it actually internally at taking it. Yeah. But, you know, if you're telling your your partner or your friends or other people in your life that they need to be practicing self-compassion and, you know, cutting themselves some slack and, you know, stop this black and white thinking, things like that, maybe it's time for you to do that as well, perhaps. Yeah. I don't Even- know, Emily. I don't know. How yeah. do I get on board with that one? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Even just having someone ask you the question of of kind of turning it around and be like, hey, what would you tell someone else if they came to you asking yeah. this? Yeah, that's can, a really can be good a helpful one. can be a helpful way to think about that to kind of get out of your own head a little bit and think, what would I tell someone else? And then maybe I can do that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Also, you can take hints from those around you. And that's, you know, essentially just try to find people that you trust and respect and take note of how they respond to challenging situations or negative feedback. And that's something that, you know, that maybe you can try doing as well. I think that's... Assuming they do it well. Assuming you, exactly. you think they handle it well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I think that's good advice. If If I see someone who's really able to take criticism well... And, mm-hmm. you know, use it effectively for themselves in their life as opposed to somebody who kind of flies up the handle or gets defensive immediately. I think that's, you know, a good thing to emulate 
to go towards in the direction of the person who takes criticism well or does something well that you yourself are trying to do as well. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Oh, this one is a huge one for me. Saying no is okay. It is. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) It is. (laughs) Also, going beyond to feel like saying no is not necessarily a failure. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad person for not saying Mm -hmm. yes to something that I didn't want to say yes to. That's true. Yeah. Great. It's okay to say no. And it's probably good for you to say no at times because many of us say yes to to too many things and it's not worth our time. Mm Mm-hmm. One of Jace's favorites is avoid must and should statements. So must, (laughs) yeah, I know you you were on a like never say should kick for a while there. You know, it's funny is actually with with my therapist just the other day, I said something about something that I felt like I should be doing. And he's like, well, you know what happens when you say should. You should all over yourself. And I was just like, but that, I'm the one who says that. No. <laughs> See, well, that's going back to the previous one. Take the advice that you give to others. There you go. Yeah. 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 So those, you know, it's like always or never, essentially. It's kind of the same thing that it can lock you into this black and white thinking. And you might be placing unreasonable demands and expectations on yourself. You know, I should be doing this or I must do this eventually. It just, yeah, try to take it away from your vocabulary if you can. Mm-hmm. Implement self-care routines, super important. Self-soothing methods, things like that. We have a lot of episodes talking about best self-care routines and self-soothing methods. That's super, super important. And then finally, I feel like I've turned into one of those people who says, like, my therapist says, but really, yeah, (laughs) talk to a therapist if you can, or a coach or, you know, a trusted third party, somebody to be objective in a lot of these things. Because really, I think it's hard for us to get out of our own way. I, I know it's so hard for me. So... You need a third person sometimes, and that's no, okay. Emily, are you having low self-worth right now? Is that what you're crying about? Maybe. Or is it because you're so happy that you're making progress? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we're trying. We're trying. We're all, tr- we're all trying, Emily. We're all yeah. trying. Yeah. 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 So next week, we're going to do an exercise on finding strengths And that's going to be able to help a bit with self-worth in comparison as well. So our question for our Instagram stories this week that we would love to hear your answers to is how do you foster a positive sense of self-worth? I'll be looking myself for some inspiration. (laughs) And for everyone else, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on the episode discussion channel in our Discord server, or you can post on our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvinetti. The episode was researched by M. Mays. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.